Hey, everybody, Montel here, and thanks so much for tuning in to this edition of Free Thinking with Montel. And I am so psyched to have the guest that I have on today. But before I bring him on, I'm going to tell you a little bit about one of his missions. And one of his missions has been as the you know, CEO and, uh, and the director of the Fisher House Foundation, which is you know one of the only foundations in this country dedicated to serving our veterans and our veterans' families that has been you know, received awards after awards after awards for the significant amount of work that they have done. And the Fisher House marks its 30th year uh, of uh, being around this year. And it is, if you don't know what the Fisher House is, you know, they are palatial homes away from homes that are offered at no cost for military and veteran families, allowing them to be together while their loved ones receive specialized medical care, military and VA medical centers around the world and make sure that their families are part of that healing process. There's not a fisher out of me. There's 90 of them right now located across the country and soon to be 100 because they're working on building more and more as quickly as they possibly can. You know, fisher houses since 1990 have provided over 400,000 military veteran families have been served by them. 10 million days of free lodging has been offered, costing and saving our veterans, close to veterans and their families, close to five hundred million dollars, folks. Um, they, on any given night, there's approximately twelve hundred, you know, families that are being served across the country, and you know, it's one of those things that that goes without being applauded, but should be applauded every single day. And I am so blessed to have been, you know, a part of their board of trustees now for close to ten years. But I got to tell you, you know, my pride has been in just being able to go down from time to time and interact with some of the families that are staying at the Fisher Houses. You know, I, uh, for several years, you know, I was able to get a group together that we called, you know, Montel's Living Well, you know, uh, a cooking team. And we got together and we would serve meals at Fisher Houses across the country, you know, and I'm talking about serving anywhere from, you know, 100 to 1,100 meals in the daytime. Um, you know, not just for the families that are staying at the Fisher Houses, but, you know, for a lot of the, the, the hospital workers and people that are attached to the VA hospitals will come over and grab a free meal. And it was really just an unbelievable opportunity to not just say thank you for your service, but to show it, to do something about it. And, you know, I got to tell you, the, the Fisher Houses have, you know, they're built almost like palatial southern mansions where, you know, a family comes in and they get their own room. and you know, the Fisher House, you know, augments, you know, the the pay so that the family is basically staying for free. And I say not pay, it augments the, 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 the cost of them staying there. But the Fisher Foundation and the Fisher House Foundation has multiple levels of different other charities that they do from providing things from Fisher House, from, from uh, Hero Miles to, you know, programs where they have a, a scholarship program for, you know, the, the children of some of our veterans. It's been an incredible opportunity to just participate and be a part of it. And, you know, the thing that's been so incredible about it is that when you think about social responsibility these days and the fact that, you know, so many people take that so lightly. And, you know, social responsibility is the ethical theory in which, theory in which individuals are accountable for fulfilling their civic duty and the actions of the individual must benefit the whole of society. And in this way, there must be a balance between an economic growth and the welfare of our society and our environment. And I got to tell you, Fisher House has fulfilled that, you know, from the ground up. It's been incredible. You know, they work with communities to help build out the buildings and the community takes ownership in, you know, being a part of, you know, providing for our service members. And, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. said himself, you know, life's persistent and most urgent question is, what are we doing for others? And, you know, the Fisher House does so much for so few who do so much for us. And I am so proud to have with us today, you know, a guest who is, you know, a business leader. He's a philanthropist. He's, you know, serving, you know, uh, those who have served our country. He's a co-managing partner of the Fisher Brothers, a third generation leadership team, one of the country's most successful family owned real estate development and management companies uh, in the country with a portfolio of over 9 million square feet of commercial, residential and retail space at a market value of about $8.5 billion. He's been named one of the America's best leaders by U.S. News and World Report. He is a tireless advocate for those who have made 
the tremendous sacrifice to our country, including military service members, veterans, and their families that he serves as a chairman and CEO of the Fisher House Foundation. Ken Fisher, my friend, thank you so much for being on Free Thinking today with me, my friend. It's great to be with you, Montel. Man, I tell you, you know, I, I look back, and I've done a lot of things in my life, but I would say my association with you and the Fisher House is probably one of my proudest associations in life. Well, I tell you, it has been a real privilege for me to be able to do the things that I do. Uh, and I remember uh, one of the first real involvement that you had with, with Fisher House and with me was the day that we flew down to Dover. When we opened the Fisher House for the families of the fallen, I was made aware of the situation at Dover where uh, back when the Operation Iraqi Freedom was, was in full swing, uh, the families were permitted to go to Dover and witness what they called the dignified transfer when their loved ones came home. And families could be there to welcome them when, they, when the caskets came in. And uh, they told me that the Surgeon General of the Army actually told me that, that after doing that, sometimes at two or three o'clock in the morning, that they would have to get in a car and drive a few miles down the road to a cheap motel. And that was not indicative of the service and the sacrifice that they just made for this country. I think when you say a few miles, they were driving, I think the closest one was what, 17 or 18 miles away? And I think so. I think that's what it was. And most yeah. people don't understand the fact that our servicemen and women and their families don't have a lot of money. You know, some of these families are, you know, E1, E2, E3. So for them to put out three or 400 bucks a night for a hotel room, they're lucky if they can get away with getting a room for one night, more or less for two nights. And if there's a Motel 6 or something around that has you know, a lower rate, and I think the closest one of those was about 13 to 17 miles away from Dover, you know, the family is put in extremis and all they're trying to do is go and, you know, and, and, and reclaim the, the remains of their fallen loved one. And, you know, for a nation, again, I say, man, we, you know, don't do enough for the least of us who do the most for the most of us. You know, and I, and I know that sounds kind of you know, oxymoronish, but, you know, we have less than, you know, 0.4% of our country serves, puts a uniform on their back at any given time, protecting and defending this democracy that we have, whether we agree with what they're involved in, it doesn't really matter. They went off to serve so that your child didn't have to do so. And I got to tell you, I remember that distinctly. We even, we even served uh, all of the, uh, you know, the morticians and, you know, the people who handled the preparation of the batter, but the bodies, we took our living well uh, cooking team there and served them lunch and a, and a really good meal just to say thank you. I mean, just in, in the way they responded was, you know, it broke my heart because these are people who we want to talk about, you know, when we talk about suffering from PTSD and, these are the people who cherish the opportunity to give a family a dignified open coffin casket. And they have to do so sometimes. Extremis isn't even the right word to explain this. You know, they're given, you know, back, and I, and I hate to talk about it this way, but they're given back a body that, you know, would not otherwise ever see the light of day again because of the you know, severity of the injuries. And these guys are like, you know, uh, Picasso's. They have the ability to, to, to reshape, refigure, and, and allow a family to have that dignified open cough casket. So I got to tell you, that's what hooked me in the Fisher House. And I've been hanging with you ever since, my friend. That's for sure. You have. And, and it's made such a difference to have somebody like Montel Williams, who's willing to take time out of their day and go down to a house and cook a meal and, and sit with the families and talk to them and find out, you know, what's, what's the experience been like? What's happening? Tell me what we can do to help you. I think when we talk about the civilian military divide, uh, you know, and, and how we've taken great, great strides to kind of bridge that gap between the, the society and, and our military. But we have to remember that these men and women are bearing uh, burdens and making sacrifices that most of us have no idea about. You know, behind every man or woman that wears the uniform is a family 
that also serves. And imagine what life is like when just you or I have to go into the hospital and, and not to take today with the COVID, that families can't be part of the healing process and what that does. And so when you think about our military and our veterans and the fact that they get sick, uh, they, they don't necessarily get wounded. They have, they have accidents like we have accidents. They get sick like we get sick. And so when they go into the hospital, they have to have their families there just like we do. And so if we've done anything over the 30 years of, of this program, it's been that we've brought the military family plight out into the light. And you have been right there with me, my friend, in doing that. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. Oh, absolutely, sir. And it's been an honor, without a doubt. Let's, let's go back a little bit and let's start about, you know, let's talk a little bit about your family business and the legacy and, you know, where the Fisher Brothers, the real estate business first started. Where did that start at? Well, it started out, you know, in when my great-grandfather, Carl, came to this country from, uh, from Minsk uh, by way of Lithuania. And, you know, it was the real story, the, the, the classic story of the immigrant coming off of the boat. The, uh, in our case, it was the Belgravia that went through Ellis Island. And he, he had, you know, a few pennies in his pocket and, and a trout. He was a, it was stonemason by trade and taught the, the sons, uh, my grandfather and my two uncles, uh, you know, how to, how to be bricklayers. And the company really started out as general contractors back in the day when brick and mortar were used primarily to build. And they would call in the trades as needed, the plumbers and the electricians and so forth. And they started out building for others and then decided that it was time to go into business for themselves and, and built this, this company, which today, as you mentioned before, has grown uh, in ways that I don't think the brothers ever thought possible. Uh, they took incredible risks. Uh, they were they were very very tough, strong guys that came through, you know, grew up during the the uh, Great Depression, and and built a company that not only made a difference in shaping the New York City skyline, which is significant because that in itself is is a lifetime's worth of work, but also they ingrained in our DNA the fact that 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 it wasn't enough to shape the skyline, that we have been blessed in ways that we could never imagine. And, and, and as the next generations, you know, came in, you know, realized how blessed we were and that the brothers wanted to give back in a meaningful way, not just with money, but with time. And Zach, uh, who couldn't serve in the military, my uncle Zach, who founded Fisher House and brought the intrepid into New York, which started everything uh, and converted it into the Air, Sea and Space Museum. He couldn't serve in World War II due to a construction accident. He had hurt his knee. And the brothers at that point were building coastal fortifications and helping you know, in any way that they could. But it was a way to give back to the military in a way that just wasn't donations with money, but also with time. And, you know, and it, it really has been ingrained in our DNA that you know, it's not enough to be successful at business. To be truly successful, you've got to be able to look yourself in the mirror and say, I'm making a difference, not just in, in material ways, but in ways that, you know, that, that, are, are, that are helping uh, men and women that give so much to us and get nothing in return. And by the way, to ask for nothing. And you are a veteran and you know what I'm talking about. You don't vet people who wear the uniform today are volunteers. They they raise their hand and they go and willingly go into harm's way for our freedom. You know, back in Vietnam and, and you know, in those days when, you know, they were drafted, some of them, you know, or most of them actually went and, and did their duty and put the uniform on. And when they came home, were not treated very well, as we know. And I, I can tell you a story uh, I was walking home from work one day and I ran into a veteran who was wearing a Vietnam hat, a Vietnam veteran. And I said to him, you know, thank you for your service. And, you know, which they didn't get to hear. 
And he looked at me and he said, that's really not what I wanted to hear. And I was a little bit, you know, taken aback because I thought, you know, we, we get into some kind of a conversation, but I wasn't prepared for the conversation we got into, which was, you know, I don't want to hear the thank you. I just want to hear welcome home, which they never heard. And I think that, you know, growing up during that period of time and, and being shaped by, by what I saw on television and learning more and more about the plight of our military and our veterans uh, just solidified the fact that what began as, as a desire to continue a legacy grew into a passion, which I wasn't even prepared for. And so that goes directly to the brothers um, who, who really wanted to, to give back, to strengthen the community, but also in ways that, that were tangible, ways that made a difference, not just by giving money, but giving time. Did you always want to work for the company, for the, for the family business, or were you? did you have other plans? You know, Montel, that's a good question. Um, you know, I guess it was... It was always, you know, something that I was, you know, I, I was put on that path. And, you know, I, I really, when I, when, I, when I left college and came into the business, uh, I was ready, you know, to go into to real estate. Um, it was a difficult road for me. I wasn't sure, you know, and, and we always look back and wonder whether or not we're doing what we were meant to do. But, uh, but when the chance to get involved with the foundation, you know, was presented to me, uh, it was something that I jumped at and um, that actually made the difference for me. So it wasn't just, you know, was I always meant to do real estate? I guess in a way I was, but I think I was meant in, in, in a much different way to do what I'm doing philanthropic. Mm. Well, yeah, let's talk a little bit about, you know, some of the other various Fisher charities that are there from the, you know, Intrepid Fallen Heroes Fund to the Intrepid Relief Fund, the Intrepid Sea and Air Museum, the Fisher Center for Alzheimer's Research. Let's go through a couple of them so people can understand. And also, I want to make sure that as we're talking throughout this, you need to know that you are, as you're listening, you can donate to the Fisher House. I want you to reach out and donate. What's the best place for people to go, Ken, if they want to donate some funds? Fisherhouse.org, and there's, you know, it's not just, you know, giving money. If you'd like, of course, we we would be happy with with anything. But it's also ways to volunteer and get involved in different ways. You can give miles to our to our Hero Miles program and so forth. But go to the website Fisherhouse.org and read a little bit about us and what we do. And and you know, if you like us, then get involved with us. And you've been a four star charity uh, now for what ten years in a row. 16. 16 straight years in a row. This is incredible. I mean, this is one of the only charities in America that has been recognized for the work that they've done. Let's talk a little bit now again, you know, about the Fisher House itself. Let's not want to beat this to death, but I want people to, to reach out today and say, you know what? I love this charity. I'm going to give. Uh, well, it's it all started with the Intrepid Montel when when my uncle Zach learned that the Intrepid was going to be decommissioned and, you know, basically chopped up and sold for scrap metal. Now, the Intrepid, you know, was a veteran herself who served uh, and, and lost 250 sailors, either on her decks through the kamikaze attacks or in the skies above the pilots who flew from her decks. And uh, Zach thought that this was a piece of history that needed to be saved. And so working with uh, a few friends of his and working very closely with the Navy uh, was able to bring the Intrepid to New York City. Uh, which in itself was a lifetime's achievement. Uh, and the last sale was November of 1981, I believe. And the, the, the ship went through a retrofit and, and opened its doors in 1982. And since then uh, has served today, before the pandemic hit, was 1 million visitors a year. And it was a real place, you know, a, a kind of a centerpiece of New York City for service and sacrifice and, and something that people could go and learn about this, about the selfless service and dedication of people who wore the uniform. But out of the Intrepid came Fisher House, as we know, and the Intrepid Fallen Heroes Fund, which started out supplementing death benefits with a death gratuity uh, to families who had lost a loved one, uh, didn't get what they get today. Uh, 
which is $100,000 within 24 to 36 hours after the loved one's passing. Uh, back then, I think it was only $6,000, and I think it was taxable. Uh, and so the Intrepid Fallen Heroes Fund was set up for that purpose, to supplement the death gratuity, if you will, uh, and, and help these families with a grant of $25,000 plus scholarship money for their children. And when the government finally got around to correcting that problem uh, and upping it to what we have today, uh, the Intrepid Fallen Heroes Fund kind of repurposed itself and became more project driven and started building uh, rehab centers such as the one we did in San Antonio, which is the, the Center for the Intrepid, which is one of the largest state-of-the-art physical rehabilitation uh, centers in the entire country uh, that was funded, all funded by 600,000 Americans. No government money went into that. And then the government worked just like with Fisher House. It became a public-private partnership as with Fisher House, where every house that we build is gifted to the government, and then they operate staff and maintain in perpetuity. The Fallen Heroes Fund did the same thing, only with these centers. So they built the physical rehab center down in San Antonio, and then some years later, uh, attacked the, uh, the issue of post-traumatic stress and traumatic brain injury by building the uh, center for the intrepid at um, uh, Bethesda where now people with post-traumatic stress, traumatic brain injury can go through programs, you know, two to three week programs uh, designed to help them in various ways. And it's really a magnificent foundation that, that grew also from the Intrepid. So out of the Intrepid came this family of foundations. My aunt Elizabeth, who was married to Zach, developed Alzheimer's disease and ultimately became you know, in 2004 uh, was the primary reason that Anne Elizabeth lost her life. But um, she was she was older and had lived a great life. Um, but it caused Zach to think about redirecting his efforts in a small way towards attacking Alzheimer's and actually uh, partnered with David Rockefeller and the Rockefeller family and formed the Fisher uh, Alzheimer's Center that also came from the Intrepid. And that has made a real difference. They hired uh, or they brought in a doctor, Paul Greengard, who won a Nobel Prize uh, actually for his work with, uh, with Alzheimer's. And that became a vehicle where people could, could give and help fund research for Alzheimer's disease. So it was affiliated primarily with the Rockefeller University over on the east side. Uh, but, you know, and, and so there's, there's primarily those three foundations, um, but it's, it's what we do, you know, day to day that, that really makes a bigger impact. It's, we try and help those at home here in the city. Uh, we we want to give the police, uh, families of those policemen who had been killed in the line and firefighters who've been killed in the line, um, a supplemental grant as well, which we do. Uh, so it's not just about the things that you see, but sometimes the things that you don't see. And we don't talk about these things. I talk about them with you, but it's not, it's not something that we share uh, because we feel that this is our obligation and this is not something we do for attention. This is something we do because we believe in the spirit of giving. We believe in helping those who help us. And there's no better way to do that than to be involved with them. Well, you know, those of you listening, you know, Fisher House Foundation is one of the premier nonprofits in this country. It's been awarded a four-star charity navigator rating for 16 years straight and an A-plus rating from Charity Watch. So, you know, when you donate, your money's going to, you know, programs and not just services. And I know that for a fact, and, you know, so I want people to make sure they reach out today. If you're listening or reach out whenever you look, watch this podcast and give, you know, $10 pays for the stay of a family um, in a Fisher house overnight. And again, they're staying at a Fisher house where their loved one is being treated so that they can be there and help in the recovery. And that's what I think is just so incredible because, you know, I mean, I've, 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 I've had a couple of uh, medical issues in the last few years, and I know the importance of having family there with me 
I think it's the only reason why I was able to recover the way I was, was having my wife, you know, sleeping in the bed beside me. Well, in this case, they can't sleep in the hospital, the VA hospital, but they can sleep. Most of these Fisher houses are located on the VA hospital property grounds. So they're within walking distance and, you know, families can spend the whole day with their loved one and then go back and then not commiserate, but, but share and uplift and support other families that are in the Fisher house also doing the same thing. So I think it's just an incredible uh, foundation. And I, I really want people to, to dig deep and do some research and give, right? It's every little bit helps Montel. Every little bit. And, you know, you actually, you actually hit a very, a very good point, which is the support system that forms in the houses, which we weren't prepared for. We, we had no idea what would happen when we put a group of people going through a very stressful time under one roof. And what happened was the support system that formed, the families supported each other. They shared the joy of the good days, the sorrow of the bad days, because not every story has a happy ending. But at the end, when they do get home, they can walk home from the hospital at all hours of the night. They're secure. So the patient doesn't have to worry about how their family's going to get home. They now understand where they are. They understand their surroundings and their, the, the other families embrace them. They take them in. They become part of a bigger family under one roof, a big community. And I think that's made a major, major difference in the way the houses operate. Absolutely. You know, I think one of the things that's really kind of crazy is that, you know, we're living in a time right now where, you know, we're looking at a commander in chief who has been trying his best, as he says, to bring troops home. And so we're kind of isolating ourselves, but it can be just that quick when we're back into another major conflict. And, you know, it's, it's, it's that one thing that is there that you can count on and know is going to be there. And though it may not have been there during World War II in Korea, it's been there since. Something that our veterans can count on. I think that, you know, Fisher House is held with uh, some of the highest esteem, esteem of any charity organization for veterans across the country. Well, I think it's in it's it's because we, you know, I think the one thing that we've that we've kind of dedicated ourselves to is running the best possible foundation we can. We run it like a public company. We treat our donors as shareholders. You've heard me say this before. And the dividends that they get are the houses and what the houses have done and the savings to the families, as you pointed out, the half a billion dollars in savings in travel and lodging. Uh, the, the 10 million nights of lodging, the support system that forms in the houses. These are all things that are making these families better caregivers and making their patients better patients. And people have to understand that on those occasions where, let's say, you know, go back a couple of years where, you know, some of the Fizzer houses were full, you then help find designated cheaper lodging close by in civilian hotels. And People need to understand they have been coordinating something called, you know, uh, hero miles where people can donate their unused miles from airlines so that a family can afford that plane ticket from, you know, question mark, question mark, USA to a location. You know, a lot of times people don't get it. You know, I, I just interviewed uh, the Allen family, you know, a week ago. And, and you know, there's a, there's a veteran who's had 50 plus surgeries where you know, the family doesn't even can't, they stop counting the number of surgeries because he's a double amputee with, uh, you know, multiple residual, you know, disorders because of being a double amputee and it has to go back every couple of years and every couple of months, go back to the hospital. And for that specialized treatment, they have to fly places hundreds of miles, even thousands of miles away from where they live. And, you know, Fisher House steps up to the plate and helps out with that and then helps out by, you know, you said it, but I want to make sure people know you donate to, you know, a fund that uh, allows for some of the children of, you know, veterans to, you know, get scholarships to go to college. So you're looking to the next generation and helping to make sure that, you know, they recognize how important it is to support. And I know, you know, we could go when, um, you know, I participated in the event, uh, which is Sky Blossoms, which is a movie that was dedicated to the service of family members of veterans and all of what they do people don't recognize that Fisher House was behind that too. So, I mean, I, I just think that, you know, you don't get the accolades that you should get, Ken. And I know you say, well, it doesn't matter, 
but it does matter. Well, I appreciate that, Montel. But, you know, having somebody like you, you know, not only be involved, but but the friendship that we've developed over the years, I think that's validation to me that when somebody, you know, like you wants to get involved with us, that's validation to me. Uh, the awards, you know, the recognition, it's important, you know, but, but I think at the end of the day, the most important thing is the mission and that you're not only, you're not only staying true to your mission, but that you are honoring the donated dollar. Uh, you treat that money like it's your own because it is in a way, and you don't want to waste it because we have limited resources. So when someone donates to us, they need to understand that that money is going exactly where they want it to go. And it can be easily traced. If you want it to be restricted to, to say, we're building a house in the next house that's going to open is in Huntington, West Virginia. They say, well, you know, you're building that house. We want to make a donation towards that house. And we will honor that. We will honor that. We will take that donation and we will put it right where you want it to go. Uh, if you want to donate airline miles, that's something easy, that's easily traced. We bought almost 70,000 tickets right now for, for families because life doesn't stop when a loved one is in the hospital. Uh, you know, bills need to be paid. Children need to be raised. Families sometimes need to go back and forth. And what about respite care? What about the person that's been there as the primary healthcare advocate making life and death decisions for someone that they love? You know, that takes a toll on you and they need to, get, they need to go home and take a break. And so Hero Miles allows them to do that because as you and I know, the government only does that one time. When, when they're initially wounded or, or in the hospital, the government will take care of their trip, but only one time. So that's why Hero Miles became so important. The hotels program grew from it with the same concept, except it's donated credit card points that we use to buy hotel rooms and participating hotels like a Quinta. Uh, you know, they've been amazing partners. It's, it's, it's when there's a waiting list to get into a house, uh, or which oftentimes there are, or there's not a house there yet, but we're getting there. We allow, this allows us to get the hotel rooms for families to stay in. So they don't have, they don't have to pay for it because we've, we've seen situations where families have been in these houses for a year. They've lived in these houses for almost a year. Remember the battlefield survival rate was 98%, especially if they were treated in the golden hour. Remember that. So they were living through wounds that would have been fatal, you know, as early as the first Gulf War, if not Vietnam. So they were living through these horrific injuries, but it required longer hospital stays, longer rehabilitation. And so we've had families go from one Fisher house to another Fisher house. Um, which has been an amazing kind of a thing to watch families go from their most stressful to the rehabilitation point where having them there is, is the catalyst to keep them going. We've had people say to us, you know, there were days I didn't want to get out of bed. I was tired. I was hurting. And my daughter or my son came in and said, come on, dad, or come on, mom, you can do it. And it got me out of bed. It got me on that treadmill. It got me on that equipment and it made all the difference in the world. And you know, I think hearing stories like that, that's the validation. That's, that's when you say to yourself, okay, you can take all the awards and all the recognition, you can throw it right out the window. When I hear a story like that, that's what I put on my wall. That's what I want to carry with me, you know, is that kind of validation. Well, that's why we know that, you know, even picked as one of America's best leaders by U.S. News and World Report. Mm -hmm. I had to take a little break there, Ken, for just a second. Let me take a break so I can pay some bills and come back. And let's talk about where you're building the fish houses next with the, the new ones. And then let's talk a little bit about just uh, society as a whole. Okay. Let's have a little conversation. We'll take a little break. You've been listening to Free Thinking with Martel. And our guest today is probably one of the top businessmen in this country who understands what service to his country really means and so i can't thank you enough Ken, for being a part of free thinking stay tuned we'll take a break we'll be back right after this well again thanks so much for tuning in today to free thinking with montana and our guest today is a business leader a philanthropist who has a passion for taking care of and serving those who have served our country he's the co-managing partner of the fisher brothers the third generation leadership team of one of the 
country's most successful family-owned real estate development management companies in America. And it's got a portfolio of well over 9 million square feet of commercial and residential retail space that's valued at well over $8.5 billion. He's been named America's best, one of America's best leaders by U.S. News and World Report. And he's a tireless advocate for those who've sacrificed so much by serving in our military, protecting and defending our you know, constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. He's been one of those people who stood by our service members as a stalwart. He's a CEO of the Fisher Foundation and the chairman of the Fisher Foundation. Ken Fisher, thanks so much for being here with us today on Free Thinking. Thanks, Montel. So, you know, when you talk about, you know, service and, and social responsibility, the only ones among us who will really be happy are those who will have sought and found out how to serve. And I think that's something that's, uh, that's from Albert Schweitzer, but I think that's, that's really the epitome of you. I think, you know, just the fact that, you know, all the other accolades are good, but I think it's been your service accolades that you live for, right, my friend? Well, you know, Montel, as you know, I didn't wear the uniform. I didn't serve in our military. Uh, and so for me, this has become my vehicle or my way to kind of give back or, or to serve. Uh, and I don't think there's any better way than, than to serve those who serve. And so for me, not wearing the uniform, you know, has, has in a way kind of driven me more not only towards helping these men and women and their families, but to learn more about what their plight really is and what they go through. And I think it, it's on all of us to kind of, you know, to learn, take the time and learn. If you, you know, if you, if you meet a serviceman or woman in an airport and you say, thank you for your service, that's very nice, but it's not enough anymore. You need to talk to them. They want to talk, you know, they really do. I, I've been shocked that, you know, I'll see somebody, you know, in, in, in an airport setting, you know, a soldier goes by, clearly a wounded veteran, and you'll hear somebody say, thank you for the service. And they turn their face away and don't even wait to hear a response. It's like, what, what, was that for you or was that for them? Right. And I, well, I'm not going to, you know, not cast an aspersion, but I really would wish people would stop and listen. You know, maybe that guy wants to say something back to you. He might want to say thank you for even acknowledging it. Well, you know, that'd be a good thing to hear from somebody else, you know, so. You know, I've been I've been beating that since I've heard you say it the first time. You know, I've been beating that to death. And one of the things that I think, you know, is you put your money where your mouth is, is that's where you've worked so tirelessly to make sure that the Fisher Foundation is one of the premier national nonprofits in this country today. It's been awarded a four-star charity by a Charity Navigator, rating for over 16 years straight, and is a A-plus rating from the Charity Watch Organization, which says a lot, my friend. Well, you know, as I said, we, as we discussed before, it's, it's, you know, look, running Fisher Brothers is, is one thing, but, you know, that's a private company. And I view what I do with Fisher House as being a public company. And so, you know, it's kind of on me to make sure that the money that we get in is spent wisely and, and spent, you know, the way it was meant to be spent. And so 94% or 94 cents on every dollar will go towards building a house, will go towards, you know, the mission statement. One thing that I think we've been good at for 30 years is the fact that not only do we spend the money wisely, but we don't try and be all things to all people. When we expand, we expand in a family-oriented way, like the Invictus Games, you know, when we got involved with the Invictus Games or the Warrior Games and the family programs. Uh, it's important for us to be good stewards of the money that we've been entrusted with. And it's a trust that I, that I value and that I honor. Uh, and, and so it makes me want to be a better, every day I strive to be a better CEO, if you will, but also, you know, a little more learned than the day before. Well, you know, I think one of the things that's a testament is the fact that you just said it, 94 cents of every dollar goes to program. Period. And I don't think there's many charities in this country that can say that these days, especially when they utilize the volumes that you're talking about. And, you know, you're building a few new Fisher Houses this year. You're at 90 right now across the country. So I know for a fact that there's there's a Fisher House located within 300 miles of every veteran who lives in America, which is, is saying something because, you know, that in, in those cases where they don't need a mile or hero miles, they can drive. And, you know, the family can go there and stay there. 
and they're still in part of their community in some ways. So that's really phenomenal. But but where are we building new fish houses, let's say, this coming year? You well, know, we work very closely with both the Department of Defense and the Veterans Administration. Now, we haven't built many for the Department of Defense because, thank goodness, they've stopped coming back in the numbers that they were. So the program has primarily gone more towards the VA. And so what we're, we're trying to do is we're trying to build a Fisher House wherever one is necessary, wherever one is needed. So we work very closely with both agencies so that we don't build an unnecessary house. We don't ever want to spend money uh, on, a, on building a house, which can cost five to six million dollars, as you know. Uh, we don't ever want to build an unnecessary house or a house that will bear a short term burden, but not a long term. So working with the with the VA has given us that that kind of insight as to where these houses are necessary. We have all the <clears throat> excuse me, the level one polytrauma centers covered with one in some cases, two houses. We're going to open up house number 91 in Huntington, West Virginia ne uh, next month. And we're looking in my goodness, the locations are all across the map, really regionally. We're looking in Puerto Rico right now. We're looking in in just about every state that's got a VA that doesn't have a Fisher House. We're looking at, and in in a lot of cases, there are there are you know kind of local foundations, Fisher House local foundations that are formed that you know that are saying, hey, we're starting to raise money. We want you to come over here. We want you to build here. Um, and so we again, but. We don't ever do it on that basis. We go right to the VA and make sure that, that that house is needed. And if not, we tell them, hey, the patient will be there. Uh, but it's it's a major undertaking. These are not, you know, these are not small houses. These are, in some cases, 16,000 square foot houses. Uh, we've got three different designs now because the needs are different from region to region, from state to state. Uh, one of the highlights of my life was building up uh, the Fisher houses in the Bronx, about a mile and a half away from where I grew up, which was, you know, which was a great, which was a great thing because when Fisher House was supposed to come to New York, the first time was going to Brooklyn, to Fort Hamilton. And it wasn't until, and this is something else, Montel, was because you, I think you were, you were with me when we did the Bronx, uh, the work that's being done at these VAs is not getting the recognition that they should be. The work in exoskeleton research and, and uh, renal research and renal um, surgeries and so forth that they're doing up in the Bronx is world-class. And a lot of that is going on within the VA. Uh, you know, so we hear, we hear some bad stories, but we don't ever focus on the good that's coming out of these VAs. There's so much positive. These men and women are so proud of the work that they do. And I, it, it's not until we get there and build a house that we really find out, you know, what they're specializing and what they're doing. And the doctors and the nurses are just so proud, as you know. So it's great to be able not only to build a house and support the families, but also to shed a little light on what's going on at these VAs. It's really incredible. And when you said, you know, these houses cost about $5 million a piece, and I know people go, $5 million for a house. Yes, folks, these are houses that are, are meant to stand the test of time. They're not here for, you know, 10 years. They're here for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And these houses are built so that they can, you know, be a location for, you know, a mother and maybe two children to stay in a single room. And these houses are configured from eight to 16 rooms, right? Plus the large dining areas, large kitchens, large sitting area. And, you know, a, a small, you know, uh, uh, facilitation room that's part of it that people need to understand that, you know, I mean, this is a place that a person is going to spend 12 hours in a hospital sitting bedside with a loved one is going to go back. They need to have a really comfortable place to go back to rest in. And then it's got to be available for the next person that moves in, you know, whether that be two days later or two years later has to be there and has to be available. So. You know, uh, and, and a lot of the building is done. You get a lot of donations and a lot of people who show up to swing hammers and paint walls donating their time, do you not? Well, we do in some cases, but, you know, look, uh, this is, this is you know, in, in many cases, this is really treated like 
like a private sector kind of a development where, you know, the land is given to us temporarily and we build the houses. We hire, we work with three or four basic general contractors uh, and they do work and they get paid for it. In a lot of cases, it's discounted. But, um, you know, we want to make sure that, you know, people donate to us, you know, with gifts in kind. But, you know, we acknowledge that they're doing great work and, you know, we don't want anybody to have to, you know, do an enormous amount of work and not get paid for it. So, but we're very careful about it. We go through bidding process and so forth. And while we work with three or four general contractors, we're constantly, like with the private sector, we're bringing in multiple subcontractors and getting bids and so forth, the way, much the way it works in the private sector. But in the end, the work is top notch. It's, and, and the houses are houses that any one of us would want to live. I think the common areas that you touched on before, the, the common dining area, the kitchen, where so much happens, as we know, um, they lead to some, and, and the sitting rooms, because they sit together, they eat together, but it leads to some incredible stories where a family would have to leave quickly because their loved one's having an issue in the hospital. So they'll drop everything, maybe at dinner time, and when they come home, their dinner's wrapped up and, and put away so that they can just eat it up. Or if their laundry was being done, they'll come home and the laundry will be folded. So these families, by virtue of the common aspect and, and, and the support system that we talked about earlier, these families take care of each other as a, in addition to taking care of their loved one. And it's really something special uh, to see that happen. People don't understand that, you know, any, every given year, you know, there are 30,000 to 60,000 injuries of servicemen and women in training exercises walking across the base. And some of those injuries, and, you know, we suffer the same you know, plight of medical maladies that the regular civilian population has. So we have cancer. We have, you know, other injuries that take place that have to be, you know, serviced, if you will. But then and a veteran ends up in a VA hospital. And, you know, it's really imperative that their family member be there with them during their recovery. There's no question about it. You, you know, both of us have been in the hospital more times than we want to, than we want to talk about. Um, you can't imagine being there and not having your loved one there, my, you know, Tammy or, or, or anybody being in the hospital and, you know, and, and not being there to kind of support you and, and, you know, bring you things and, you know, magazines and whatnot, and just be there. With you. It's, it's not an easy thing to be in the hospital in the first place. Uh, it's even more so when you don't have somebody able to come and be with you. And imagine because you couldn't afford it uh, because you've been in the hospital, you're going to be in the hospital for a while. Imagine that, that aspect where you're in the hospital and the only reason your family's not coming because they can't afford to get there or they can't afford to stay in a hotel room. And that just, that just could not, that could not sit with my uncle and ultimately couldn't sit with us. Well, that's why I need people to make sure they go up on fisherhouse.org and give, give whatever you can, whether it be, you know, miles or it be points from your credit card or, or just you, you can affect the, the well-being of a family immediately just by your donation. So um, unbelievable. I really want people to make sure they give out today. Let's talk a little bit, um, you know, about current affairs, if you will, sir. I don't want you to go into any politics, but, you know, right now, again, like I just mentioned, you know, we aren't, though we are actively involved in conflict around the world, the conflicts that we're involved in today are not as severe as they were uh, or bring home as many wounded soldiers as they were five years ago, four years ago. We are living at a time where do you think that this generation that's currently here right now is starting to think that, you know, military service, who needs to do that anymore? I mean, I know that we are having, and they don't want to talk about it, but we are having difficulty filling the ranks right now. Um, and I think some of the bipartisanship and tribalism of the last four years has literally turned a lot of people off, though we have people who are willing to tote guns and run around on weekends out in the middle of the woods nowhere here in the United States. A lot of them aren't willing to put that same camouflage on and go serve this country. What do you think about that? 
And are you fearful of tomorrow or are you just thinking that this is just a momentary phase? You know, this has been an issue now for a few years. Um, I think in the beginning it was because of, you know, the inadequacies in the system that it was an overly bureaucratic system that the impression was, and it's why so many of the recruiting commercials that we see on television are aimed at the moms, uh, because they want the mothers to be comfortable that their that their children will be taken care of. Uh, I think that you know we went through a period in this country, you know, specifically back in in 07, if you remember, where we had the problems at Walter Reed, and you know what happened there, and. You know, there have been other instances, 2013, during the shutdown, when the families weren't paying, paid the death gratuity. Um, and then, you know, the issues with post-traumatic stress and the stigma associated with it, traumatic brain injury. And, and you know, I can see one, a person getting the impression that why would I want to join the military if I, you know, if I'm, if I'm wounded or I'm, I'm hurt or what have you. I'm not going to be taken care of, you know, the way that I would be if I was in the private sector. So why? And I think it's a legitimate concern. And I think, I think that we've, we've taken great steps to, to kind of bridge that gap and, and make certain that, you know, the feeling is that when somebody joins the military, that they understand that there are risks when you put the uniform on, but you'll be taken care of when you, if, if you, if you do become wounded or, or hurt. And I think that this is a situation where we can sit back and say, yeah, the government's not doing this or the government's not doing that. And, and why is there a need for a Fisher house in the first place? Uh, you know, I think Montel and you and I have had this conversation many times. I think it comes down to the fact that there's always going to be unmet needs, uh, that the government's not going to be able to do everything. And, you know, it's like I said some time ago, a couple of weeks ago, I, it was on Veterans Day. I was doing a, an interview and, and I was asked about it. Uh, and, and I said, you know, this is the perfect day to start. We cannot allow veterans issues to slip off the radar they're only there at, at at election time and that's it and you know when elections are over the 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 issues fall back by the wayside veterans suicide rates are are 20 22 a day this is this is just i mean to put it mildly this is not acceptable in any in any way shape or form so I think, I think at the end of the day, there are these issues that are out there and they're there and there's no denying it. That's where we as Americans have to take an oath ourselves like they take an oath when they, when they first join, they take an oath that they're gonna defend this nation and the, the constitution. It's up to us to, to, to make sure that if they get hurt, that we make sure that they get what they need. We make sure that they get the care that they need. And the way that we do that is by making sure that our public officials and the people that we elect to hold high office or local office, we have to ensure that that happens because it's not going to happen any other way. It's not going to be one of these, I snap my fingers and things are going to get better kind of things. So we can sit back and complain about what it is, uh, whatever it is, or we can say, you know what, recruitment is down because they're not being taken care of. Well, that's on us. We have to make sure that that happens. And I think we have to also tell the story that it's not as bad as we claim it is. You know, unfortunately, you know, that old saying back uh, 20 years ago, if it bleeds, it leads, is the, is the moniker for news stories. Well, right. you know, we don't like to talk about the fact that there are, you know, innovations happening in science and in medical science that or allowing these guys to recover in ways that they would have never recovered 20 years ago, 10 years ago. You know, we don't like to talk about the things that, you know, it's out of the, you know, the, the triage science, 
you know, from the battlefield that we have more people surviving on the streets of America from traumatic injuries. Mm. And though we do talk about, and I think, you know, did the country become complacent in hearing the numbers of 22 a day taking their lives because they now know that somewhere between 27 and 28 a day non-military are taking their lives? You know, are we, and, and, you know, there are programs available for our veterans that are going to have to translate to civilian life because as we suffer from PTSD from war, we are also now a nation suffering from PTSD from a war against a virus. You know, one of the things that I've been talking about with lots of doctors in, in the last couple of weeks is the fact that, you know, America is not paying attention. We're not paying attention to the fact that, you know, let's say we get COVID and we kick it in its ass in the next five months. And let's say we can bring COVID under control by May. Well, the next pandemic is going to be a pandemic of mental illness from what has just transpired for the last year and a half. You know, PTSD from the pandemic. And we're going to learn from how we treat PTSD of our soldiers, how we're going to try to treat the PTSD of our first responders. And people need to start focusing in on that right now. I'm going to tell you, Ken, but I think the only way we can get them to do that is if we have leadership in the right place. And you're one of those leaders. You know me. I'm, I got a trumpet on your butt. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm tooting my horn every single night, blowing it out loud, saying, you know, why isn't Washington, D.C. reaching out to you? Have they reached out to you yet, sir? No, no, they haven't. Uh, now, I, I, you know, I would it would it would take it would take a little bit to get me to to, to go down. I would go if, if asked in whatever capacity I could help. But I think the most important thing is, you know, again, is is. We politicize so much in this country. We're so polarized right now. We, we're such a divided nation that if we can't get together on, on issues of health, if we can't get together on issues that affect our veterans and their families, if we can't get together on ending veteran suicide once and for all, I don't know what, we, what we'll ever find common ground in. I think, you know, you know it's, it's like, we mentioned the Invictus Games and the Warrior Games before and, and how important it was to show veterans that might be suffering with post-traumatic stress and so many times they're suffering in silence and their families are hurting because of it. What is possible if they come forward? Because there is help for them. There is good treatment that is available. Don't it's sit back and watch what's, you know, and, 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 and say, I can't, I can't, I can't. And then it would lead to, you know, the inevitable you know, which nobody wants to focus on at all. We want to show what is positive, what's what's out there. And I think that stigma, and now this goes across the board with mental health. There's that stigma about coming forward saying, I need help. And there's nothing wrong with it, you know? And, and I think that we really got to do better at getting people to come forward and getting the help. The last thing we'll talk about before I let you go is that I mean, we were chatting a little bit when we were off air you know, I think that some of the solutions are right here staring us in the face, yet we won't look, we don't have the leadership in place to think outside the box. And I think that's part of the reason why if you're tuning in here, you're watching and you're listening to Free Thinking today with me and, and listening to Ken Fisher, I'm going to tell you, you should reach out to your congressman, senator and say, how about that Ken Fisher dude? How come nobody's called him? And he's got a lot of innovative ideas. And, you know, the one that we were talking about before is the fact that we have so many bases around this country right now that are sitting dormant, that aren't being used, that aren't being used efficiently, where we could literally, you know, coalesce those those spaces and turn them into, you know, centers for PTSD for our homeless veterans across America. They've got barracks there already. They've got kitchens there already. You know, put a couple of people in the place, sell off a little bit of the property and the land, and you could fund the program where we could literally be treating our veterans rather than leaving them sitting under bridges. Some of the issues and some of the solutions, Montel, are staring us right in the face. And I think if we take a more business-like approach uh, and look at these things, such as you know unused land or underutilized land and having it repurposed, I think is a great way you know to start. But I think 
at the end of the day, I think it's 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 just realizing that this is this is the greatest nation on earth, and that we are what made us great and what makes us great today are the men and women like yourself that wore the uniform or wear the uniform today, and you know that are that are going to go out there and, and defend us and are willing to take the risks that they take, and you know ultimately you know whether it's how we care for them when they get back or how we care for their families or what have you. Uh, I think that by taking a more innovative approach, by, by, by thinking a little bit out of the box, I think we go a long way towards helping resolve or, or make a difference in helping solve these issues. We have to, we have to. I gotta say thank you so much, Ken, for being a part of today's free thinking with Montel. You always have a home here, sir, whenever you want. And uh, just like about a week ago, we had the Allen family on, um, you know, any, anytime you want to send a guest our way, we'd love to have them also. Um, I mean, maybe we put Dave Coker in a spot. Have him come on one time. <laughs> that would be, that would be funny. That would be funny. Dave, and, Dave is a good guy. You know, I, you know, I'd love you to talk to Paul Puka one day. You know, absolutely. we'll see if we get Paul to come on. I'd love to. I would love to. Recipient, great guy. Yes, sir. Love to. And I think, you know, America needs to hear him and hear stories like that and understand that, you know, as much as we like to complain, there's so much good being done. And the Fisher House Foundation is one of those good things being done. So make sure if you want to donate, you go to fisherhouse.org. That'll give you an opportunity to read through the, and look through the entire website. That'll give you an understanding of what we do. And make sure you click the button that says donate. Donate, donate, because you will be making sure that a family gets what they need, especially at one of the most critical times in their lives. Ken, can't say thank you enough, my friend. Thanks for being a part of Free Thinking with Martel. Make sure you continue to tune in, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining me on Free Thinking with Martel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear feedback, so please send us your comments.